This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cullen, Deirdre of the Sorrows, Grow New Whale. From giants right down to fairies, about the drooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore mythology, retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, the culture and the history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan. I am your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 167 of Fireside. Today on the Irish Storytelling Podcast, we have a folk tale from Beside the Fire by Douglas Hyde, is where I found this story. It is the story of the son of Baelor, of the evil eye, of a, of a court built on the river between counties Roscommon and Mayo. This is the court of Crenon. But first, a big welcome to any new and returning listeners. If this is your first episode, this isn't a bad one to listen to. And if you like that, head back right to the beginning and see what we've been building up to over the last over three years, nearly three and a half years of Fireside thus far. And if you're a returning listener, as always, thank you for your continued support. All the usual stuff. If you haven't done so already, please follow me over on Instagram at FiresideBard. Email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com if you have any inquiries, either business or personal, or just want to say hello. There's so many different ways you can support me or this podcast. You can spread the good name of Fireside by sharing it on your story on social media and by uh, telling a friend about it. By uh, supporting Headstuff Plus over on headstuffpodcast.com. Link is in the description below where for as little as five euro a month, although you can pay more if you want, you can gain access to bonus material, not just for Fireside, but for all of the podcasts on the Headstuff Podcast Network. And there are more of them each and every month. Uh, always a good incentive to join up. Um, and of course, if you can support me in a very direct way by buying my poetry book, Garden Sea, you can buy that either on paperback from Headstuff or from Kindle from Amazon. All of the links are in the description below. But the story for this week, I'm recording once again from Brisbane. We are here for eight days and we have three shows in the Q-Pack, the beautiful venue here in Brisbane City. Um, And we have four days off over Easter coming up, uh, which I'm very, very much looking forward to, particularly our leg um, in Western Australia with World of Musicals was a lot of driving. It was as a result of this show tour being two years in the making and being postponed so many times and cancelled and reorganised and rescheduled is we ended up having quite a lot of big drives um, to quite disparate places. Uh, but it's it's all been great and we've been so grateful each and every day to be back on the road for live entertainment, for live theatre, to be back and... It's been a really beautiful marriage between performers on stage being grateful to be doing it and audiences being grateful to being in the audience. And 
we're with a really lovely group um and we're just having a really really lovely time um but it's great to be properly back on the fireside train now and having written and recorded ahead of time and to ensure that the hiatus that happened uh, last month does not happen again um but the story for this week is from this book that i'm so happy i finally found which was beside the fire by douglas hyde it's where a few of the recent tales have been adapted from including the Alpaluchra. I believe that was the first one we adapted from it a lot of the stories i had seen in other folktale books um uh, all the douglas hyde versions of them um as the founder of the gaelic league the first president of ireland and a massive massive folklorist and huge influence on our understanding of celtic folklore and mythology and they're just a real beside the fire it's just a real collection of bangers uh, stories wise and naturally with uh with doing Grainne Whale and uh, coming to the close of our look at Grace O'Malley, I've tried to have all of these tales revolve around the sea, revolve around the west coast, around the counties of Connacht, um, of them to be of a period where you could believe that Grace O'Malley may have actually known these tales. I just tried to keep it all in the world of Grainne Whale. Luckily, uh, very fortunately, Douglas Hyde's book, Beside the Fire, is nearly all set in the west of Ireland. This seems to be where all of these stories come from. A lot of them date quite old and... Um, yeah, I've been lucky that a lot of them have, have featured some element of the sea or rivers or wells in some way. The Well at the End of the World from uh, the week before last was also another one from this book. As is this tale now, which is the Court of Crenon. Um, this is a very interesting one and features a character from Irish mythology that we have not met yet, that I did not know of. And I'd be interested, does he exist outside of this story? But we'll chat more about it afterwards, of course. But this is the Court of Crenon on Fireside. The Court of Crenon. Once there was a river on the border between the counties of Roscommon and Mayo in the west of Ireland. A group of gentlemen, who were mysterious to all the villages and parishes around, came upon the river and decided that they would build a court there. They built the court of wood and stone, and high it stood for all to see. But none of the villagers or parishioners would dare approach the court or speak to any of the courtiers. That is, until a terrible plague began to sweep the community, indiscriminately wiping out men, women, and children. A widow who had lost her husband and all children but one was determined to save the life of her last surviving son. So the widow did what no one else had done and approached the mysterious court, knocked on its colossal wooden door and was welcomed inside. That's a great misery that has befallen your family, said the woman who was the leader of the court, and we will do what we can to save the life of your son. But some of the responsibility will have to be on your head. We will give you a can of milk. As long as your son is alive, this can will never empty. Go home and crush up a four-leafed shamrock into the milk and feed it to your son. He will at that moment be back at full health. And if you keep the secret of the milk, and more importantly, 
where you got it. Then this can will heal all who drink from it. But if you let the secret out, the enchantment won't be the only thing that dies. The widow took the milk home, crushed up the shamrock, and fed the concoction to her son in bed. The widow gazed in amazement as her son stepped away from death's door and back to the land of the living. He was stronger, healthier, and in better spirits than he had been before plague had ravaged the community. The widow even thought her son looked taller. And, like the court had told her, the can of milk was full as it had been when the widow received it. With her son healed, the widow now saw the opportunity for great wealth. After all, the court had only said not to tell the secret, not to spread the word of the enchanted healing milk. Soon all of the parishes of Mayo and Roscommon had heard of Mary Kerrigan's magic milk. All who drank from it were healed, and soon Mary the widow and her son were rich beyond what they had even thought possible. The enchanted milk was more believable to them than the gold in their pockets. But money and power corrupts even the kindest widowed heart. And one night Mary Kerrigan went out to the pub and had more than her fill of brandy and let out the secret of the enchanted milk. The widow then fell asleep by the river bank and when she awoke the enchanted can was gone. Grief stricken over the instant loss of her magic and source of wealth Mary Kerrigan threw herself into the river between Mayo and Roscommon and was drowned. Before anyone could even find Mary was missing, everyone whom the widow had told about the magic milk arrived at the court on the riverbank to see if they too could receive gifts, healings and blessings. But what they found was smoke coming from inside the court. Everyone thought the building was on fire, but it was something more than that. For soon lightning erupted from the windows, followed by the rumble of thunder. The assembled crowd fled and ran to the one person Irish people call for in such an instant. The parish priest. But parish priests only look out for their parish. And the court was in no parish in particular. So when the villagers ran frantically to the three nearest parishes, the priest's answer was always the same. I can't help you. That's outside my parish. But while priests are bound to a particular parish, friars are not. Poor, aimless friars who roam communities like holy hobos or barefoot bards. A group of such poor friars was camped along the banks of the river, and the villagers asked them if they would approach the court and investigate the source of the smoke, thunder and lightning. The friars knew they had been asked as a last resort, but they were not petty folk and said that they would help. The band of friars approached the smouldering court and one called out, Is there anybody inside? A flash of green light like burning sugar in absinthe burst from the court and out from the front door came a single figure. He was a tall man, not quite human, a not-quite-sea-creature, with one single eye in the centre of his forehead. "'Who are you?' asked one of the friars. The creature replied, "'I am Crenon, 
son of Baelor of the Evil Eye, king of the Fomorians, who once dwelled on this island before they were ousted by the traitors Lu of the Tuatetanan. All of my people are gone, but I remain, and this is my court. You are all pure and courageous men who have come here today. None of you shall be harmed. All who dwelled at the court are now dead. But do not fear, for they are all at peace now. I do not wish to harm this community. I just wish for peace of my own. Because you had the courage to approach me today and to help this community, I will give you all two satchels of gold. One for you and one for the community to divide out as you see fit. The friars took the gold from Crenon's court and used it to feed and clothe the surrounding parishes and helped them recover from the plague that had weakened and killed so many of them. But I'll tell you who wasn't one bit happy about this. The priests. The three parish priests who had been sent for and had refused to approach the court because it was not in their parish then saw covetous opportunity. They approached the court of Crenon and the Fomorian prince came outside. What business do three priests have with me? Crenon asked. We have come to offer our blessings and friendship. Is it not a sin to your god for a priest to lie? You have come to seek gold, such as I gave to the courageous friars. But each of you refused the call of the villagers when you were asked to help. None of you are worth a penny. One of the priests then said, You would be wise not to decline our friendship, for we have the power to banish and excommunicate you from the area. At this, Crinon began to laugh. <laughs> Any power you passive Templars have is nothing compared to my own, and you will witness a sample of it tonight. As you all sleep in your beds, the roofs will be swept off your houses and be in my custody in the river. Now go before I worsen your punishment. The priest thought it better than to quarrel further with Crinon. They left and slept uneasily in their beds as the winds began to rage outside. The gales blew so loudly and powerfully that the roofs literally blew from the priest's houses and away into the night. The next morning, the cold, pale, and horrified men of the cloth searched for the lids of their homes, only to find them, just as Crinon had warned, floating in the river beside the court. The cowardly priests then, like the villagers before them, went to the friars for help. Lesser men would have gloated at the failed greed of the priests. They would have said that they had gotten what they deserved, but the friars had to practice what they preached and not stoop to the levels of the priests themselves. The friars returned to Crinon's court and were welcomed by the Fomorian. Welcome, friends. What is it that I can do for you? The friars asked Crinon if he could return the roofs to the priests' houses. Those priests were treacherous and rude, but since it is you who asks, my friends, I will fix their homes. But if any priest approaches the court again, not even friendship will prevent my wrath. 
The friars then watched as Crinon raised the floating roofs from the river water and sailed them through the sky in three different directions back to their respective buildings, and no priest went near the court of Crinon again. A year to the day after the drowning of Mary Kerrigan, her son Paddy Ean was drinking in the pub with a big group of his friends. After drinking too much whiskey and beer, the stumbling posse wobbled home. As they walked along the riverbank and came in sight of the shadow of Crenon's court, Paddy Ean Kerrigan slurred, There are riches in that old building. They are there for the taking for anyone brave enough to approach. Even cowardly men grow half a spine when full of drink, especially in front of other men. So the entire mangled mob went to the door of the court of Crenon, and Paddy Ean Kerrigan shouted, Open up this door or we will break it down. Crinon came outside and warned, Go home now, boys, each one of you, or I'll put each of you to sleep for a month. The drunken youths took this as a challenge to a scrap. They knew the Fomorian had magic, but in their stupor they all thought that if they could tackle him to the ground, they could incapacitate him. But not a man could get near Crinon, because the Fomorian prince exhaled once through each of his nostrils, and every man and boy was swept away on a gust and left sleeping beneath a heavy rain cloud on a nearby hill. The rain cloud and hill, piled with twelve sleeping men, was not noticed, but the absence of the men from the community certainly was. The group had been spotted walking near the court of Crenon, and assumed that the Fomorian prince had murdered them. So the villagers went once again to find the friars. The friars were not so easily found this time, as a year had passed and they had spread to help other communities. But once they were located, the friars were only too happy to return to visit their old friend, and hopefully not recent murderer, Crinon. One final time the friars knocked on the court of Crinon and were welcomed. The Fomorian assured his friends the men were alive and had merely been put to sleep for a month. I will show you where they sleep, and when they awake they will be in full health. But no drunken man may ever knock on my door again, or even friendship will not prevent my wrath. Crenon carried the friars on a carriage of wind until they found the sleeping group who awoke safely a month later in their own beds with the worst hangover of their lives. It soon spread through all the parishes and villages near the river between the counties of Mayo and Roscommon that the court of Crenon was to be avoided. The friars went to visit their friend once more years later but found that the Fomorian prince had left the court. Abandoned though it was, no one ever dared move into the now supposedly haunted site. No judge or travelling bard. Eventually, the roof caved in as the grass grew all around. Still they say that people would go out of their way by up to a mile to avoid approaching the ruin by the riverbank. There is only a wall left of it today. A wall still only known as the Court of Crenon. The end. (laughs) 
I Know The Face is a movie podcast on the Headstuff Podcast Network, hosted by me, Stephen Portio. And me, Andrew Carroll. Our show is all about character actors, the type of performers you'll see pop up in supporting roles in blockbusters, the type of people you know the faces but not the names. Each episode we pick one particular character actor and discuss a couple of their movies, shining a light on the performer's career while giving listeners plenty of movie recommendations. So the show is a must for cinema lovers. Subscribe to I Know That Face wherever you get podcasts and follow us on Twitter at I Know That Face P1. And that is the tale of the Court of Crinon on Fireside, and I hope you all enjoyed it. Yeah, very interesting little tale here. First of all, let's talk about Crinon. Crinon, the son of Baelor of the Evil Eye, our big bad from the mythological cycle, um, the great king of the Fomorians, the people who were displaced in our, from Ireland, travelled overseas, and then fought the great battle, the second battle of Moitera, with the Tua de Dallan, Um we know that Lu had been a grandson of Baelor. We know that Brez was of the Fomorians. Yet the Fomorians have always been our kind of big bads. They're portrayed as these ugly aquatic sea giants. These Fomorian literally means like from beneath the sea. And here we have this son of um, Baelor of the Evil Eye that we have not really come across, or certainly I haven't noticed his name or remembered his name in the same context. We have him as this figure. I uh, I have a particularly particular fondness and soft spot for stories that mix Christianity and Catholicism with mythology because to me that is what Irish history is certainly in the last five hundred years and really like uh, fifteen hundred since the arrival of uh, Saint Patrick in Ireland in the fifth century, but especially with the folklore of the last two three hundred years. We're talking about an immense Catholicism throughout Ireland where you had a huge amount of Catholic Irish who believed in both um, fairies and in God. And these this pagan belief and this Christian belief, which are totally opposing ideologies, uh, were held together. And they're exemplified most of all in uh, the wonderful segment I got out of J.M. Singh's book on the Aran Islands where that the Catholic theory on the fairies were that the Irish fairies were the angels who were kicked out of heaven and were spared being sent to hell by being trapped in purgatory around Ireland and that those are the fairies that we see and that was their way of um, grasping uh, with this concept of these conflicting ideologies. And one of my favourite poems in my book, Garden Sea, is called In the Air Still and is my attempt to write a kind of Paradise Lost-esque verse poem about um, about these fairies, about these fallen angels becoming the Tua de Danon. And so here we have a story where we have the priests. The priests as these villains and this uh, villainous Fomorian as kind of not quite our hero, um, but he is kind of our genie, isn't he? He's one uh, He's one not to be trifled with, but he is a benevolent force if he is left alone. He is only a malevolent force when people force it out of him. Because we, we go on quite a journey with this story where we start with uh, this widow and her enchanted can of milk, and it starts quite light and jovial, but then she lets the secret out. And presumably once the secret of the milk is out, that is what summons Crinon back to his own court and why he kills all of the residents who built the court in the first place. These mysterious people, did they build it for Crinon? Uh, was he always meant to come back? Was he there all along? Were these men always meant to die? Um, 
we will never know. There is this shrouded in mystery because this is several, there's several different types of story in this, I feel, but it ends up becoming almost like a ghost story. It is the story of a haunted site. Presumably there is this wall somewhere on this riverbank between the counties of Mayo and Galway, or between Mayo and Roscommon. And that is, again, this seems like an old tale because it feels mythological. Um, and it is perhaps not, um, perhaps it was, it, it was a little bit more recent, so perhaps this is too recent for Grainne Wells to have known. But it's not totally outside the realms of possibility that a version of this story, considering it was circulated around her home county of Mayo, that Grainne could have known a tale such as the Court of Crenon. Certainly she would have been well aware of the Tua de Danon and um, of Ireland's mythic history as much as anything. Very interesting tidbit in this. This is the first time I certainly have ever counted in anything Irish a four-leafed shamrock. Um, the four-leafed clover, as it is called in the U.S., um, is one of those Irish stereotypes that I would consider to be exclusively American, uh, exclusively Irish-American, to be specific. Um, it's not something I've encountered in any Irish folklore or any Irish mythology um, as a four-leafed clover or four-leafed shamrock. But here, in the story, in the Douglas Hyde version, it's called a Mary's shamrock and then in brackets he has four-leaf shamrock with a question mark so I've leaned in with this four-leaf shamrock so I've n- I'd never encountered it called that either a Mary's shamrock um presumably because the the shamrock was used by St. Patrick to depict the Holy Trinity it's the Father Son and the Holy Ghost and maybe it was a Mary's tram- shamrock because the fourth leaf was the Virgin Mary that makes sense in my head anyway. I could be wrong with that. I must look a bit more into it. But that made sense in my own head. But it's very interesting that this uh, this stereotypical cliche that seemed quite alien to actual Irish culture and not in just this twee, Paddy Rackery, um, Americanized view of Irish culture um, is actually ha- has appeared here in uh, in this story, which is very, very interesting. So it shows that like all of those... All of those aspects, they are rooted somewhere, somewhere in Ireland. Um, yeah, I had the the great fun of looking up uh, the differences between a priest, a friar, and a monk, uh, considering I, once upon a time, was quite devoutly Catholic. It's probably something I should have known. Um, but yeah, it seems like friars are like the bards of priests, that they weren't bound. They're, like le- they're a lesser group and not bound to a specific parish. This like this story ends up being this kind of critique on uh, parish culture, which was so integral to Irish society for so long, and really, like, really marries and blends with this idea of clan culture that was in Gaelic Ireland, which was ultimately what made Gaelic Ireland collapse. Was the clan culture is so divided and not unified, and it's individual, and no one joins together, and everyone just fights their own fights. Parishes are kind of the same thing. You have your your very very small area that is not governed over basically by your or um, presided over by your parish priest. And we have this almost satire of priests being unwilling to deal with anything that is outside that parish, such as this court that is on this riverbank, until there's a fast book to be made. And this is like, this is um, borderline sacrilegious, you know, that we have these three 
wicked priests who are just trying to make a fast buck um, when the very kind and malevolent friars are blessed with this these riches by by Crinon, by again this this um, figure of mythology, this borderline god who is uh, totally at odds with their own god, who they just converse with naturally and accept that he lives in this same world as all of them. And finally, in this third act, we have these very much these three acts of the widow's milk and then the friars at the court with the priests and then the three, the, the drunken yabos at the end. Uh, also love this. This just rings very true as well. Like a group of lads going out on the, on the drink, uh, walking home at night. You would always pass like the haunted building in the town. There was a couple of like supposedly haunted spots in Wicklow town. And it's only then we're like, we'll go up there. We'll, we will go up to the haunted place. Um, We'll go. We'll go around there. We'll knock on the door. We'll see if there's any ghosts there after all. And this that seems so uh, relatable to me. And apologies, none of you will have noticed that because it seamlessly went straight through. Uh, but I just had to answer the door of the apartment there. Um, that was uh, housekeeping. Just came in to change the sheets. Um, but while the going is good, yes, uh, that was just the final point there was, yes, about this way that the story ends as it becomes a ghost story, as it becomes the story of why no one goes near Crinon's court, even as it falls apart and no one moves in there, no no bards or homeless wanderers end up using it as lodgings. Everyone just stays well aware from it, away from it long after Crinon has left until we get to the point that we go, did Crinon ever even dwell there in the first place? But with that, I will wrap things up. I've been very fortunate. Um, so we're always in shared accommodation on these tours, and we're in a beautiful apartment that I'm sharing with two others. Um, and they were both out at brunch this afternoon. I would have loved to have gone to brunch, but uh, I need to take the opportunities to uh, record when I can get the apartment to myself because naturally when you're sharing with people, you don't want to um, have to make anyone else leave, you know, so, so you can do your thing. Um, so I'm delighted I was able to get to two episodes recorded today that'll get me a couple more weeks ahead of time um might try and write and record two more i think that's that yeah, that's that's how i feel i'll keep on top of it um with the very limited time that i do have or limited time and space the time is the one thing but just like the space to record again like when you are sharing accommodation um and i to be fair like at least all of them all the rooms and apartments, they've always been heavily carpeted, like acoustically they're good. There's an air con in here that I haven't been able to turn off. I can't work the the little yoke, the Siemens remote yet to turn it off. I've just been able to make it like um, cooler or warmer. But hopefully that's not too obtrusive. Um, these co- good condenser mics should hopefully not hear too much uh, air con in the background. Um, but I'm delighted to have these ones. So as always, uh, if you haven't done so already, please do follow me at Fireside Bard on Instagram. Email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com and support the podcast on Headstuff Plus or by buying my poetry book, Garden Sea. All the links are in the description below. Next week, we have the final tale of Grania Whale. It is the end of an era as we finish our Grania Whale cycle and saga. Um, I will see you all. You'll hear me all next time. And remember, wherever you go and wherever you are, you can always join me by the fireside. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member 
at headstuffpodcasts.com.